Welcome to Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community. Hey everyone, I'm your host, Ravi Straczynski, and thanks so much for joining us on episode number 61 of Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town. Today's guest is Dr. Trisha Cardner, a former psychology professor turned poker player and coach. Dr. Cardner has earned her doctoral degrees in psychology and criminology and is a licensed psychotherapist. She's been playing and studying poker for several years and offers both free and paid courses on the mental game of poker. She's a co-author with Jonathan Little of the books Positive Poker and Peak Poker Performance, it's a lot of peace, and uh, with Gareth James of Purposeful Practice for Poker, even more peace. Plus, she's also a contributor to the book Excelling at No Limit, Hold'em. Additionally, she is the co-host of the Poker on the Mind podcast, also with Gareth James. Today, we'll get to know Dr. Cardner a little bit better and learn, hopefully, how to improve our poker mindset. Dr. Cardner, welcome to the Cards Jet Podcast. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. I'm super excited to get to know a little bit about the Cards Chat community and spread the gospel of the mental game of poker. <laughs> awesome. Well, we're happy to have you on, especially during this uh, incredibly busy time that is the World Series of Poker. So we certainly appreciate you making the time. Absolutely. Love to cool. do it. So how's everything going? First of all, we're in a, a good mood. Uh, I know you just moved house. Things are going well for you. I mean, you know, we're getting there. We, we've got a few more boxes to unpack. You know how that goes if you've moved. But uh, yeah, loving it. Just getting ready for the holiday season. And I know that you know this, but just in case people haven't heard it, the World Series will be back in the summer, yeah. allegedly at Bali slash Paris is, yes. is yeah, what the word is. Confirmed. So. We're, we're, all, we're all really excited about that. It's, yeah. it's fun to not have to wait a full year till it comes. I know. Yeah, I know. It's, it's good stuff. <laughs> um, well, and you're coming to us from Austin, Texas, deep in the heart of, uh, of uh, poker action country these days, huh? Poker, we got poker action, we've got barbecue, we've got Ladybird Lake, we got everything here in Austin. So awesome. yeah, people should uh, come check it out. Wonderful. Well, I hope to do that someday. I'm sure uh, lots of our, our audience members uh, from the Card Chat community actually live in or have visited Austin before. Mm -hmm. So hopefully I'll make it out there. Um, well, Dr. Carter, today you are an expert on the mental game of poker. I'm wondering, have you always played poker? Uh, is this something that you kind of like got into as a kid or as a teenager? Or if not, when and how did you first discover the game? Well, that is a great question. Like probably a lot of people that belong to your community, I got really excited about poker during the poker boom years. So I guess it was probably a couple years after Moneymaker had won. I had the exciting opportunity to live in Cheyenne, Wyoming. Ooh, and yes, so here, right? <laughs> yes, so we moved there and my husband was in the military and a bunch of the military guys, you know, they were really hot for poker and they were going to have a home game. And so they were like, you want to come to this home game? And I, I had never played cards in my life. Oh, wow. And I was like, sure, you know, why not? What else I got to do? So we go over and they kind of teach me the rules and, you know, everybody knows you can learn the rules like super fast. Right. Sure. And then it takes forever to like really master the game legitimately. But right. boy, I was hooked from the get-go. I was like, mm-hmm, okay, this is psychology. This is, you know, some statistics. 
things I really liked, you know, human nature and, and all that good stuff. So I, w- I was into it. I hopped down, you know, to the bookstore when those were still a thing. Right. And, and I got this book and I can't remember which one it was, but it was one of Phil Helmuth's books. Okay. And I started reading it and I was like, oh, this, this doesn't seem good because basically the tone of the book was like, anyone who's picked up this book is so stupid <laughs> at poker that there's only about 10 hands you should play. Oh, yeah. And he was, was play poker like the pros. Maybe that's one of them. Maybe uh, it was that one. Anyway, I got about 30 pages in and I was like, no. And I just like threw it. <laughs> Phil, but, if you're listening, we're sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, Phil. Um, but I just didn't like that idea. And I was like, no, there has to be more to this. So that's when I really started getting into playing online and joining up with the forums and, you know, getting into, I mean, this was in the days of like blue fire. If you remember. Oh that. yeah. That's ooh, way back. Wow. <laughs> Dial up internet. Yeah. Right. Cool. Right. Yeah. And um, so, yeah. And uh, I just got all excited about it and, you know, I would just get these ideas. I hadn't been playing very long at all, but I just said, you know what, I want to go to Vegas and it's not so far from Cheyenne. And I wanted to play at Binion's because that's where the world series had started. Yeah. Right. And I was like, yeah, let's just go there. I'll breathe in the air. And, you know, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> but anyway, we went and I played this tournament and it was really pretty big because remember, this is during the poker boom. So a little Saturday tournament on Binion's probably had like 250 people. Yeah. Wow. That's a, yeah. That's a, wait, uh, just to get a timeline here from that first home game that you attended until this mm-hmm. story that you could tell in Las Vegas, how much time had, had elapsed? Not much, like a couple months, maybe. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> okay. I, th- I mean, I was like, mm-hmm, let's get this party started. Wow. And okay. dove right in. Yeah. I did. And I ended up finishing in that tournament. I don't know, like 14th, 15th place, something like that. So I was like, oh, yeah, this is so fun. And then I said, hey, let's go, you know, because once you've, you know, played a tournament at Binion's, you're ready for anything. And so I said, oh, let's go play cash. And we looked, you know, to see where all the cash games were. We went over to the Venetian, which I think was spreading one, two at this time. Okay. And um, we sat down and I just had it in my mind. I was like, you know what? I'm going to get enough money to buy a vacuum cleaner. <laughs> Life goals. I love it. <laughs> you got to have some goals. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And, and so I started playing and I didn't do very good. I lost like quite a bit of my stack and I got up off the table and I went and talked to my husband and he was like, how are you doing? And I said, I'm not doing so good. I've gotten down, you know, I've lost a lot of my stack. And, uh, but then I said, you know what? I'm getting that vacuum cleaner. I'm going to get back on that table <laughs> and I'm going to run it up. And so I got back on the table and I spun it up, you know, to a few hundred bucks and we cashed out, you know, I was so excited. I was awesome. like, I, I got my chips and I jumped up and I go, Whew, mama's getting a vacuum. And everybody at the table, like looked at me like I was crazy. <laughs> and then I went and I checked out and I did, I went to Sears, which also is, I don't think any longer. R.I.P. Sears. Yeah. R.I.P. Yeah. <laughs> I got that vacuum, Kenmore, and I still have that vacuum to this day. <laughs> wow. That, that is an incredible story. So I'm curious. So you got into it and, you know, clearly developed this, you know, this otherworldly passion for it. Did you kind of like say to yourself, what, what were your goals? You just, I just want to do this all the time. I want to become a poker pro. Like, 
Or what what sort of, I guess, enchantment did you have with the game? I mean, anybody who plays poker knows, like, if, if you get bit by that bug, you're just bit by the bug, right? Yeah, yeah. I just really approached it like I approach other things in life where I was like, I know I can really learn this game. I know I can study. I know I can put in the effort. You know, I've had to put in effort before to, you know, get my degrees and get my license, you know, all that thing. And I was like, I just know I can do it. And it's just, uh, you know, I'm a tiny little thing. I'm never going to be, you know, a super athlete. Well, maybe, you know, twirling baton used to do that, but you know, it's not really going to get me any accolades. I'm never going to the Olympics or anything, you know, but poker, I felt like that was something where I could compete and I could, you know, maybe win. <laughs> and right. I mean, who doesn't love money? Right. Uh, not like love it just, you know, to have it, but you know what I mean? Money's sure, a good tool. And if you can win some money and pay off your student loans, come yeah. on, what yeah. is not to love? <laughs> yeah. did, did you sort of get the sense right away? I mean, these were the boom years, kind of like the wild yeah. west years of poker. Did you get the sense right away that those who put in the time, effort and study, you know, generally speaking, do better? Oh, absolutely. Oh. I mean, you could see it all around, right? And we still see it to this day. You sure. know, if we look at the best players in the game, they're studying. Yeah. I don't care if they tell you they're not, you know, they've got the GTO, the DTO, they've got all the things, right? They've got, you know, coaches and mentors and, you know, they're using the tools. And yeah, if you're not willing to do that, then you're not going to get to the top echelon. But what I think is nice about poker is if you do have a career and you have other things you're doing and you have a family and whatever, you can still get to a certain level. You know, maybe you're not going to be fade or holes and, right. you know, you're winning the super high roller yeah. and, and all that. But you can make very good money, you know, at what, two, five, five, ten, sure. something. Even right. one, two. I mean, I get out of one, two pretty quickly or one, three just because, you know, the rake. But right go up one more level. And, you know, if you have decent skills, you can play on the weekends on your holidays and whatever, and you can really, you know, supplement your income and pay for vacations. And, you know, I've had friends that play much more on a part-time basis and they're able to remodel their house, you know, with wow. the money they make or something like that, you know, or right. get a car, you know, one of my friends did really well in a tournament and he, he took some of his tournament wins and he just went and bought a car, right. Because he has a job, you know, he can do that. Right. It's not like he's, I think it's more difficult if you're a full-time pro and, you know, bankroll management is super important and you got to really toe that line. And, you know, it's very, very difficult to be a pro who only, you know, plays tournaments. If you're going to be professional, you really have to play cash and yeah. so much variance in tournaments and yada, yada, yada. But you know, it's just so much opportunity, even though the games are tougher and it's harder now and, and you've got to get yourself together. But if you've been watching the World Series, you know, footage, yeah, there are still plenty of soft spots. And I'll just leave it at that. Without <laughs> specifying, exactly. <laughs> uh, shout out, by the way, to, to you mentioned Fedor Holt. I believe he was episode number 40 here on the podcast. Mm -hmm. Always good to you know, shout out uh, our good friends who have joined us before. And after you listen to this podcast, folks, are you watching it? Go back. There's a, a good 60 other episodes that you can watch uh, and listen to. Um, so you kind of envisioned yourself as saying, hey, because you know, you're not leaving your professionally trained line of work, but you said, hey, I could you know, if I study hard and, and, and put in the effort, this could be a nice kind of like side income and I could, you know, be a serious wreck, so to yeah, speak. Yeah, for sure. 
and and just you know you know by myself more vacuum cleaners etc <laughs> no more vacuum cleaners okay i've moved on <laughs> <laughs> very cool um, yeah so, yeah so your career you know let, let's talk about that so your career you started uh in psychology so where where did you study what uh, what school was it? well the shorter list will be the schools i haven't studied at because i obtained every degree at a different school oh but, uh, wow that's yeah. interesting well okay so so what i think made that's you kind of typical okay that's interesting what, what made you choose each particular school they had a good uh, a good program for each of the majors you studied um well when i initially i think when you're going into undergrad in america you sort of like oh i'm going to apply at a few places and hopefully somebody lets me in right <laughs> <You know? laughs> sounds about right yeah. <laughs> so somebody saw fit to let me in and then i think graduate school is where you know there was a lot more thought uh put into where i wanted you know wanted to go and wanted to study and who i wanted to study with um, so yeah, I did my master's degree at Texas tech and I did my doctoral degree in crim over at uh, Sam Houston state, which is a really well-known crim school in the world. It's probably wow. one of the top, some, some people say it's number one, some people say it's number two, you know, in the world. So it's very, it's very famous. Um, and then after that, I did my second doctoral degree at Argosy out of Florida. So cool. Crim being yeah. the criminology, folks, mm -hmm. if you don't know the, uh, the yeah. shorthand. Um, so what is it? I mean, it's an interesting thing to be attracted to, psychology, criminology. What is it that kind of like piqued your interest about those subjects that you said, hey, I want to pursue this for a few years? Oh, well, I always was very intrigued by what makes people tick. And initially, early on in my career, I wanted to know what makes people really bad. And I worked <laughs> within the criminal justice setting. So I worked a lot with um, juvenile delinquents, of course, who had been incarcerated. Um, and then I also did with adult sex offender treatment programs and, you know, kind of got off into stuff like that. And that's what took me kind of from psychology over into crim more so. But then once I really got into it, I mean, I think once you really learn what makes people bad, you know, and I did uh, some research with psychopathy and um, yeah, I was like, okay, I'm kind of over this. I need to go back to psychology. And, uh, <laughs> and then I really wanted to go to the opposite side of the coin, which is what makes people really good and really mm. successful. And so I got into, you know, peak performance and sports psychology and things like that. And so it was to me a natural you know, partnership with poker because there is so much psychology. And also I think what motivates me a lot is that I see a lot of really poor mental game advice mm. and training. Um, a lot of it is not based in any sort of reality, should mm. I say? Um, mm -hmm. well, let me give you an example. A lot of people will tell you, oh, you know, you just, you got to be confident and there is a, a strong link between confidence and peak performance, sure. But then they tell you the way to gain confidence is to, you know, chant to yourself, like, I'm the greatest poker player in the world and look in the mirror and say that. And no, that's not going to happen. True confidence is going to come from developing your game and your skills and your knowledge and knowing that you have the uh, ability to come to the table and figure things out. And right. That's when you're going to be confident. You're not going to be confident if you don't work in your game at all and you chant all day long. I'm the greatest poker player in the world. I mean. If you do believe that, then that's just delusion. That's what we call it, my business, um, right? So I didn't like that. And there are a lot of, you know, skills and techniques and things that you can do in order to improve your mental toughness and, you know, that sort of thing. And so that's what I wanted to bring to the poker world. 
fascinating. It's a, you know, it's funny, like, you know, I'll have to rephrase the question like that I had prepared here because I just kind of <laughs> want to say, like, it's a somewhat unconventional pivot, you know, from academia, from, from you know, being a professor and, and mm-hmm. you know, treating, like you said, you know, the, the bads, the goods, and then I guess you kind of like delve in, like, how do you marry your passion with mm-hmm. your profession, uh, you, know, you know, as far as your training, you know, to what you know, did you kind of have like a game plan or a business plan and say, okay, well, you know, if I'm going to move out of what I've been doing, what I know, and you know, I can pay the bills with, how do you kind of like break through and penetrate into the poker world and, and find your first, you know, I guess, clients uh, in need of help? Well, I guess, you know, when I was first in poker, I had no shame and there was absolutely no shame in my game. And I would go up to anybody I knew who I admired and who I liked. And uh-huh. you know what I mean? Um, Daniel Negrano was doing a book signing at the Rio. And I mean, I was jumping up and down like, oh my God, Daniel Negrano, this is a, you know, you know what I mean? Like, so in the early years I was, you know, as much a fan as anything else. And, but by going and meeting people, right. That was very helpful. And so a lot of the real old school people, you know, Mm -hmm. helped me out. Al Schoonmaker, Jan Fisher, Linda Johnson, like some of the, you know, old older guard. I'm not saying they're old people, but you know, they've been around a long time. Right. Sure. And I was like, Hey, you know, help a girl out. Um, you know, <laughs> Mike Sexton, you know, people like that. And so, um, I, I don't even remember how I met up with Jonathan little, but I did do some coaching with him. This has been a long, long time ago where, you know, he was coaching me, teaching me poker, of course. And I went to this tournament and I satellited in and i still am a fan of that even though um, him and I have a little bit of disagreement on that, but that's okay. I'm going to do it my way. And, uh, (laughs) and I satellited in, they had great satellite going. And basically what it was is if you got up to a certain number, you got your seat into the main event and in, and then, but they usually a satellite will stop right there, but not this one. And this one they played on. And then if you got to the top next, so you got like $500 in cash and the buy-in, yes, the buy-in to the satellite was $400 and the, Main event was like 2,600, something like that. So anyway, so I got the seat uh, and then I came off the table and I told my friends and family that I was with, I said, I'm going back and I'm getting that $500. So <laughs> I'll see you. So I went back and I got the $500. So nice. I mean, now I've got the seat, I've got the $500 and I only paid the 400, right? Right. And, and then I play the event. It was a huge event. And I ended up making the final table and I took down six figures. Yeah. So I was like, okay, it's, it's time to, you know, make some moves, make some pivots. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> so we'll, we'll, we'll after, that was in 2012. We'll talk about that one a little bit. Uh, so yeah, in that regard, I was able to, um, you know, I said, hey, uh, why don't we parlay this and write a book, you know, which, and then Positive Poker came out. Um, and then I was working with people and refining things some more. And then I did peak poker performance. Right. Got it. And then I was working some more, refining things some more. And then I said, oh, Lord, we need to we need to do purposeful practice for poker because people really don't know how to do deliberate practice, you know, for poker. But it's interesting. I have people that I work with, you know, doing one on one coaching that have been with me for years. Right. And it's not like every week or month or anything, you know, like, well, usually the way it works is they'll have some specific thing, which we'll work on maybe for, you know, a few weeks or, you know, a couple of months, and then they'll go off and do their thing. And then it might be like a year till I hear from them again. Right. And then 
something else will come up and then we can work on that. And then they go about their business. But I have people that have been with me for years now. And, you know, it's just like we pick right back up where we left off. And I think that's an interesting kind of like a a difference. It's not as opposed to like, you know, a psychologist would treat, right, a patient until the patient improves. But you're doing something a little bit different. It's coaching. Because so it Mm -hmm. really, it's not like, oh, you've been doing this for 10 years. Why aren't you getting better? It's just there's always something more to learn and something more to improve. That's actually quite interesting. Um, I'm wondering if your your academic studies, the stuff that you learned in the universities that you obtained your degrees, to what degree, to what extent um, has that training assisted you in what you do with poker players? Well, I mean, it's very valuable because my master's degree is in counseling psychology, my doctoral degree is in counseling psychology, right? And then, of course, you know, the criminology we already talked about. Right. Um, But, you know, I mean, I've worked with a range of things. So when I worked more clinically, I worked with the gamut relationship issues, a lot of depression, anxiety, even bipolar, schizophrenia. I mean, you know, run the gamut on that. So, yeah, that it it's all the same, right? People are people are people and people have difficulties with, you know, sort of the same sorts of things. But what I like about what I'm doing now is instead of being, you know, handcuffed Mm -hmm. by managed care and, you know, all those different things, right? I can just tell you, like, if you come to me with a problem, I can tell you what the best research is showing that these are the best you know, techniques to utilize. These are the best skills to learn in order to improve, you know, this particular thing. And you can go do it. And then we can see what worked, what didn't work, what do we need to tweak, you know, that kind of thing, right? It's just, um, it's a lot more strategic and it's a lot more, you know, you can try things and we can see and we can pivot from there. But I take everything, you know, I I try and make sure everything is clinically evidence-based. So not this chanting about being the greatest, but really, you know, like with the learning, obviously being a professor and Gareth, my co-host on Poker on the Mind, he's a qualified teacher. So he spent some number of years teaching, right? So we said, you know what, we really don't, let's face it, most poker training sites are a disaster. And I say that because it's difficult to find what you want it's just a mess of stuff, right? Like if, if um, I'm a member at Run It Once, I love Run It Once. Shout out to Phil Galfon, you the man. I love it, but come on. Do you know how many thousands of videos are on Run It Once? I think uh, they add another two every single day. Actually. So it's <laughs> 5,000 plus, yeah. It's crazy, right? And there's no path. I mean, they've tried to do some learning paths and things like that, but at the end of the day, if you don't know how to structure your learning, you're not going to get as good a result, you know, sure. as you could. So of course sure. we were like, uh-uh, we need to bring it, uh-huh. bring it. And, <laughs> and we've had people say like purposeful practice through poker is like the most important book they've ever read. Phenomenal. And the nice thing about that is it's not going to go out of style, right? right? Like a lot of the poker books, and I've had them all, and I've loved them all. Believe me, when I Harrington, can see them right behind you over there. So, and that's just, a, over there. that's just a small portion, right? There's another huge bookshelf over there. Like me and Dan Harrington. I mean, he didn't know me, but I loved him. I was snuggled up with him nightly with the Harrington on Hold'em's books, right? Uh-huh. Those are, it's outdated. Almost right. any poker book. I feel like the best poker book right now would be Modern Poker Theory by Michael Acevedo. 
Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay. That's excellent. If your listeners want to know like what I would ask for for Christmas, you get that. You'll, you'll be good. But most of the poker books are outdated, but this one purposeful practice for poker is not going to be outdated because it's teaching you how to utilize the learning materials you have to get the most out of them. I like it. And I like also that uh, it's so, I guess, uh, fitting you, know, you started off your answer there by alluding to ranges. Of course, poker players always mm-hmm. have to talk about ranges. So, uh, well, Got done. To. well done. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, well, perhaps, perhaps this is an appropriate follow up then, in as far as like what is, um, I guess, evergreen solid information that isn't going to change. You know, the bulk of your work is on the mental game. I'm wondering if you feel that there's any sort of way to, to quantify maybe like percentage or ratio, something like that, the relative importance of mental game preparation versus just having the good mathematical and and, and technical fundamentals. You know, again, like you said, poker continues getting harder. There's so much to learn. That mental game aspect, though, that kind of could be a constant. You know, is there a way to sort of quantify what, you know, extent of the preparation uh, a player does should be on the mental side of the game? Uh, yes, I can answer that for you. Oh, wow. And uh, okay. I know you're like, oh, I didn't know. I, I didn't know you were going to well, answer I, I don't know what the answer is, but if you seem very uh, confident that you can answer this one. Uh, that's yes, exciting. I'm very, I'm very confident. I chanted in the mirror this morning. I'm confident I can answer these questions. Great. Uh, actually, on this one, um, I'm real into mental toughness and I'm really into the research on mental toughness. And that is a term that is used quite frequently around sports. But it's also used in business and military and things like that. So there's quite a lot of research done on mental toughness and, you know, defining it and assessing it, measuring it and all that sort of thing. Right. For our purposes, the some of the most compelling research that I've seen shows that mental toughness accounts for about 35 percent of the variance in high performers across various fields. Okay, but what's really interesting is the more your skill level develops, the more important the mental toughness aspect becomes. And that's because when we get really skilled, so we've got Fedor up against Martin Finga and Fabian Quas, right? We've got all killers at the table. Yep. The strategy is all good, right? What's going to be the difference? It's going to be in the mental game. It's going right. to be, can they manage their emotions? It's going to be, you know, um, do they have bad habits that are derailing them? Are they able to, you know, do a pregame warmup? Is it an effective pregame warmup? You know, um, are they able to manage the outside, you know, life type factors, right? So we're looking at, uh, you know, when they lose, do they consider it, you know, oh, it's the end of the world or they do they look at it as a challenge? So it's like all those sorts of things, right? Having said that, if you're a newer player or you're a more beginner player, mental game is not going to account for as much of that variance. It's going to be lower because, right, you just, you got to get the skills. But having said that, if you start out with your good mental game fundamentals, you are going to learn and progress faster, better. You're not going to have things that you need to unlearn, right? So I would say the variance that mental toughness you know, accounts for is at least 35% and it's probably more. And as you go up in skill, it's going to be more in my opinion. Interesting. So I'm like, obviously we're not all high rollers. I would say just, you know, using the typical poker pyramid, you know, most of us are at the, you know, the lower levels of poker and plenty of us, you know, just, Hey, this is an interesting card step. Mm -hmm. What's all this poker about just getting into the game. So you talked about, you know, kind of like mastering those, those mental fundamentals, 
Would you say there's one or two perhaps most important fundamentals uh, of the mental game to sort of even at the beginner level to be able to to you know sort of master and and that you can come to the table with right away? Well, there's a couple things. I mean, first of all, you can't underestimate the importance of goal setting and goal achievement, right? Mm-hmm. Because we would want to set our goals for, you know, our study time, but also, you know, our playing time and, you know, things of that nature. So don't underestimate that. Um, I actually have a free mini course called Rev Up Your Poker Success, which people can get at peakpokermindset.com, which talks about how to appropriately set goals for poker because it is a little bit different, right? We can't just say, oh, I want to win a million dollars. I mean, we can right. say it, but, but that's not a very good goal. We're not going to be able to actually, you know, take the steps to right. assure that we get there, right? So it is is slightly different on that. Of course, the emotions management. And notice that I'm saying management here. A lot mm-hmm. of people, they want to get to where they don't have emotions. They go, oh, you got to be like a robot, you know, at poker. And that is just not true. It is not possible to get rid of emotions. I'm sorry to tell you, unless you have brain damage. And we do have some cases in the psychological literature where that has happened. And it ends up being very, very bad because mm-hmm. our emotions do play an important role in our ability to make decisions, our ability to be motivated, our ability to delay gratification, like all sorts of things, right? Emotions also give us a lot of good information. So we cannot get rid of them, but we need to learn to manage them in order that we don't have a huge blow up. And you know who I'm thinking of when I say huge blow ups. (laughs) We don't want to have a huge blow up at the table and get ourselves into some, some trouble and, you know, donk off our chips and lose a lot of money, right? So I think if people would work on those couple of things as they're getting started, that would be really a smart thing to do. Right. And, and uh, you know, just just to be clear, Stephen Chidwick, we apologize. We did not mean to pick <laughs> on you as far as all the blowups um, are concerned. Uh, Dr. Gardner, like, yeah, like you say, you can't just sort of say it. Um, there are things that you have to do to achieve um mastery of these fundamentals. Would you you say that there's any particular uh, behaviors or practices that are important uh, to success in the game? And I guess that the flip side is also, are there any types of behaviors and practices that are detrimental to improving in the game? Well, I think if you want to improve in the game, you have to think very long and hard about what does that look like for you? What are you going to improve? And then you need to have some sort of tracking system, right? You probably heard, you know, in business, they'll say, oh, what gets measured is what gets improved or something to that effect, right? That's going to be true if we're talking about tracking habits or if we're talking about, you know, hand reviews, right? We need to track, okay? We need to have a very good idea of what it is that we are after. So I would suggest, you know, setting up processes for doing that. So if we're talking about learning on the learning side, you know, when you're playing, you need to uh, be writing down hands, you know, so, or, you know, if you're live, or of course, if you're, you know, online, you can have sure. the computer assist you, but yeah. you need some way. And then you need to have a process for going back and reviewing those hands. Okay. And not just, um, we just talked about this on uh, one of our episodes, Poker on the Mind, uh, the podcast, where people now they've got the solvers. And they'll run the hand through the solver and they'll be like, well, the solver said to do X, Y, and Z, right? You know, told me to do this. I'm supposed to make a big bet there, you know, or whatever it pumps out. But you have to go further and you have to say, 
if I'm using the solvers, I need to understand, well, why is it telling me this? What is the underlying logic to it, right? So I need to have a process. And so many people don't do that. So many people will post a hand on a forum. And then when people start giving them feedback, they will get defensive and, you know, no, no, I did right. They don't want to hear it. Okay, so that's bad. Or they'll only post the hands where they already know that they, quote, did right. Like, they're not really learning anything there. Right. Get yourself a process, have a way to collect this information, analyze the information, see what you can learn from it. The other thing I would say is for people who are starting out, don't go crazy like me and be like, I'm learning poker. (laughs) Be more systematic about it and study the particular things that are going to come up the most. So like if I'm playing in tournaments, button versus big blind Mm. comes up all the time, right? Uh, I'm playing out of the big blind once around. Okay. So I need to study that. Um, If I'm like looking at three betting as a bluff on the river, that doesn't come up that much. So that needs to be later in my development. Right. So, so do things like that on the more behavioral side of it. You know, if you're a mess off the table, you're probably going to be a mess at the table. So you really need to Look at how's your diet, how's your exercise, how's your sleep, you know, how's your relationships. If you have stuff in order off the table, you're probably going to, you know, on the table. If you're a mess off the table, then I think that comes to the table, right? So I don't, I don't know if that's really what you were after. But. Well, no, that's actually, I was, it's actually, I was going to say, it's an incredibly comprehensive and, and detailed answer. And I would say, folks, you know, if you're, you know, beyond just learning about Dr. Cardner, if you tuned into this specific episode to learn practical information to improve, I would say, go ahead and rewind, go back the last couple of minutes, take your pen and paper if you haven't already and, you know, jot down those bullet point notes. I think that was some really excellent practical advice. Uh, and thank you. It was an excellent answer. Um, well, uh, hopefully another a good question here for you. Um, <laughs> what uh, mental leak do people tend to overlook when they're trying to improve? I mean, like focused on sometimes you miss the forest for the trees, right? Something like that. Man, there's so many mental leaks. That's a tough one to answer, right? Because, you know, you see people run the gamut. Like, uh, you know, they lose a couple hands and then they tighten up some people. Or some people lose a couple hands and they go crazy. They go, I'm going to I'm gonna jump up in stakes and get my money back. <laughs> and, you know, so yeah. there's that. There's leaks around the study. You know, I just mentioned one, like using the solver, but just looking at what it spits out, not going in with any sort of process to figure out, you know, why is it suggesting this to me? Uh, that's a leak to me. Um, you know, this is, I'll, I'll drop another knowledge bomb for you. Okay. If you want to be an excellent poker player, no matter if you're part-time, you're full-time, you're pro, you're whatever, there's three things that you have to consider and you, you have to work on and only three things. So, Hey, that's good. Yeah. The first thing is your strategy and your technical. Okay. The second thing is your bankroll. And the third is your mental game. If you've got all those three, you're in good shape. So a lot of leaks, when we're looking at leaks, they're coming in those three areas, right? So a lot of leaks for more beginners are around bankroll. Like they'll just, they don't know about bankroll. They'll donk off their stack and, you know, it's bad. Um, strategy, you know, playing three do soft suit, which I just, there was a lot of, uh, yes. you know, the, dir- the dirty that, diaper. Yes. <laughs> yes, playing the dirty diaper. Like, Mr. Rigby, I believe was his name. Yes, name. yes. Yeah. It was wildly entertaining. I'm not going to lie. I was entertained, but is it a good idea? No. no, it worked out in the specific, you know, situation. 
And that's why everybody was crowing. Yeah. But if we do, if we do that a hundred times, it's going to work out, you know, once out of the hundred or something. Sure. I don't know the exact number. It's a small number of times it's going to work out. So, right. Um, so just, you know, that's a leak. Um, be careful who you're getting your information from and who you're learning from. And if you're watching these streams and you're thinking, oh, just because I'm watching it, I've, I've got my strategy taken care of. No, you really don't. So watch out for that. On the mental game, uh, do you have problems with tilt? Do you procrastinate? Uh, you know, do you have problems with motivation? Are you burned out? Like there's all kinds of leaks on, on that side. How are your habits? You know, good habits, bad habits. Um, right. You know, what kind of, do you have a mistake recovery protocol? You know, you probably don't. I like you the probably, way you phrase that. That's interesting. Why, thank you. Like, well, like, a, like a systematic way yeah. of recovery. That, that's interesting. I like that. Yeah. I mean, there's just, just all kinds of things, right? Um, you know, knowing in advance what kind of things trip you up and coming up with plans for how you can deal with those things. You have to do it in advance, which most people don't do. They're just right. like fly by the seat of their pants and then sure. they're in the middle of it and they don't know what to do and they freak out and. Right. You know, something bad happens. Very interesting. Also, the way you broke it down, you said there are three main things that players have to work on. That does jive as well with your previous answer of saying it's about 35% uh, mental mm -hmm. games. That yeah. definitely, it definitely uh, is very, <laughs> very consistent there. Um, well, so many players, uh, you know, both recreational and professional, you know, we struggle with tilt. So let's say you are someone like a Byron Caverman an Eric Seidel, someone who's really prone to these tilts, right? And <laughs> I, I kid, I kid. I have to choose someone. I'll give the shout out to the, to the legend. Um, someone who just generally, though, like a lot of us uh, are not as well talented at, at just staying on our A game and not letting ourselves get thrown off our rocker by certain situations. Um, do you have any advice to, to help players either stay off tilt, like not get tilted in the first place, or you know, okay, you're where human beings will get tilted to recover quickly. Like what sort of protocol yeah. uh, to use your phraseology would you recommend? I think um, we're, we're humans and we're going to feel emotions like that just is. So accept that as the first step. Okay. Mm -hmm. The second is work on your awareness. Okay. It's not like we lose a hand or make a mistake. And usually, you know, that just, we blow up, right? It, usually it's a little bit more of a slow build, right? But you need to be paying very close attention to that, okay? Usually the first sign that we're going to blow would be physiological. Maybe our heart starts racing. Maybe our shoulders come up, you know, we get tense or the jaws, you know, clenched or right. not in the stomach, like something like that. We need to be paying attention to go, oh, what happens to me before I get off in the ditch, right? Mm -hmm. Awareness. Also noticing what you're thinking. Oh, I noticed that I'm having the thought that, you know, grandpa coffee just sucked out on me or whatever. Right. That's not a good example because right. grandpa coffee is not <laughs> sucking out on you because he's only playing the nuts. But anyway, um, <laughs> but you know, we'll have these thoughts like I can't believe that fish just got so lucky on me or whatever. Right. You need to train yourself to say, oh, I noticed that I'm having the thought that and fill in that thought. Mm. The reason you do it that way is because you're putting some distance between you and the thing that happened. I right. noticed that I'm having the thought that it's just a thought. Thoughts are okay. It doesn't matter. We all have weird thoughts and many of them every day. Each human being has many thousands of thoughts. You know, you know I've seen different numbers, anywhere from 20,000 to you know 80,000 thoughts a day. And I guarantee you a lot of them are weird and unhelpful and 
you know, just whatever. But what happens, and this is why we go on tilt, you know, we start having the emotions and we've got the thought and we're like, I can't believe they sucked out on me and they get so lucky and I never get so lucky. And it just like, and then boom, right? Yeah. We need to notice it. When we notice it, then we can say, huh, isn't that interesting? You need to train yourself to just look at it like you're an observer, you're a detective. You're like, oh, wow, I just had that thought. Isn't that interesting? Sure. Take and- some deep breaths, Right. Right. Now, now, would you would you advocate for sort of okay? Once you notice that awareness is obviously the first step, you know, it's, it's like, almost sounds cliche. But once you okay, become aware while you're playing. Oh my God, this is happening. Would you advocate for you know? Okay, stop playing. Like that's not always necessarily possible. Like what what? Now, once you notice it, then you know what do you sort of say? Like how do you? you know, tilt the ship back right, at least as far as like uh, putting a patch on it until the session does end, you know, especially if it's tournament. Excellent question. So you notice it. I suggest you do several rounds of deep breathing and I advocate the six to seven method, which is a very deep breath. You're going to count a slow count, one, two, three, like that. Slow. Okay. Don't go one, two, three, four, six. Okay. Not like that. Go slow in for six through the nose. Hold for two, mm. out through out through the mouth for seven. You mm. can play with the numbers a little bit, but you just yeah. want to make sure that the exhalation is a little bit longer than the inhalation. And that triggers the brain to start relaxing and calm down. Now you might have to do that a few times because, you know, maybe you've had a number of things happen at the table and you're mm-hmm. really getting twisted up and you might have to do it a few times. That's fine. Then what I want you to think about, and you actually need to have thought about this before you go into the game, but before you go into the game, think about what do I want to be like? How am I going to be if I'm playing, you know, at my best ability? What does my A game actually look like? So then when I'm doing my deep breathing, I can say, what was my goal for this session? Oh, my goal for this session was to play my A game, which I already said looks like this, you know, it look like I'm focused, I'm paying attention, I'm sticking to my ranges, right? Like I've got all these things. Okay, that's my right action, right action. Okay, I'm calm. I'm calmer now. Mm-hmm. Done my deep breathing. I understand what my goal is, my mission, my objective, and I'm going to put my focus back on that. So the problem when we get tilty is that we're either thinking about the past or we're thinking about the future. So the past is, oh, what happened to me? And I'll get wrapped up in that. If I'm doing that, I cannot pay attention to what's going on right now. Or I'm into the future, which is what might happen. Oh, I might go broke. Uh, I'm never going to win again, (laughs) you know, all the things that can go through our minds. If we're in either place, we're not in the present and we're missing everything that's going on around us. And that's bad. Yeah, I agree. Well, you mentioned before that uh, you you dabbled online as well. And I'm sure many of our uh, members of of the Cards Chat community, they perhaps only play online. Mm -hmm. They are the same game, you know, live poker. uh, Well, again, they're this. They're in the same family. They're related. They're distant cousins. <laughs> uh, you see plenty more hands online. Yes. And perhaps you just, you know, you gain that playing experience so much more quickly. Would you say that the performance and, and mindset aspects of it, you know, that, that one third or 35% of the preparation we need to do, is it the same for both live and for online poker? Or are there perhaps some differences? I think there are differences because when I'm live, it's so slow compared to if I'm playing online, right? And of course, online, I can have as many tables up as I can handle 
right? So I can multi-table. So if I lose, you know, like if I'm playing tournaments online and I bust out a one, well, so what? I got 15 more going, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like that live. Right. Live right. is so slow. And then I bust out and I have to and take I have the walk to drive of shame. Home for two hours, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I take I take the walk of shame and and you know, and everybody as you're walking by, all your friends are like, what happened? Right. <laughs> right. So I think it is a little bit different, right? When you're you know, there's pluses, you know, pros and cons, right? On each side, right? Mm-hmm. When I'm when I'm playing live, I feel like I can play the player so much more. And yeah. a lot of that has to do with my particular training set, right? When you're trained in psychology, you're gonna have an edge in certain things, right? Sure. So I feel like you know that's a good edge there. If I'm playing a lot online, then generally I feel like at least if you've been playing a while, you have a better sense of the numbers. You know what I mean? So like your aces get sucked out on, you're like, oh, well, if I was aces against, you know, eights, I was 80% yeah. to win. Well, they're going to hit 20% of the time, right? And you just kind of know stuff like that because, sure. you know, you see, but when you're live, you're like, I waited five hours to get those aces. <laughs> <That's so true. laughs> you know, And then I got nothing, you know, everybody folds, right? Or you get sucked out on or, you know, yeah. whatever, right? So they're just differences. To yeah. the game. Oh, it's not, it's not that one is like better than the other. It's just a different, you know, um, it's like same church, different pews. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I hear, I hear Even as an Orthodox Jew, I totally know what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, you mentioned, of course, you know, John Little, you mentioned Gareth James. How did you first uh, kind of connect uh, with them and, and then begin your collaborations? <laughs> that is a great question. Um, I think with Jonathan, you know, he was, he had, um, he had a site back then called Float the Turn. Had to think about it for a minute because yeah, it's been a, it's been a hot minute. And so um, I'm pretty sure that he did some kind of it was through Float to the Turn. He did some kind of like um, boot camp. It was probably like a World Series preparation or something that I took mm-hmm. from him. Sure. And then and then I was like, okay, I'm going to take that. I'm going to go win. Mm-mm-mm, go win. Go. Um, and then I did. So that was nice. And. So, of course, I let him know. (laughs) (laughs) But I knew, you know, that at the time he had already done Secrets of Professional Tournament Poker, right? The original, the three volumes. Yeah, the original. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. he just came out with the updated version, but this was the original. And so I was like, oh, um, I wanted to do positive poker, which was actually based on my dissertation. So I had done a, a qualitative case study of poker players, you know, seven figure earners as it were. And uh, so I wanted to parlay that into positive poker, but I wanted, you know, a big name to have be on the book. Sure. Because you need that. Okay. Right. right. Uh, so I was like, hey, you want to do this? And of course he was like, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. Uh, Gareth, um, we were both coaching at Red Chip Poker. And so I think the first time I met him was at the World Series. Um, you remember they used to have that restaurant Buzio's, I think sure. that was the name yeah. of it. Very yeah, yeah. So yeah. so um Red Chip, you know, they would have like a meet and greet. And yeah. I'm pretty yeah, sure yeah. that's where we met up. And then we both did some work with Matt Berkey. So he did uh some ICM work and I did some middle game work. Um that was before the high roller bowl. Yeah. Which was a few years ago. It was like the first you know, big high roller bowl. It was over at the Aria. And I think it was poker 
Go or Poker Central who broadcast it. I can't remember. Yeah, the same. I, forget, I forget who won, but it's like seven and a half million dollars or something like that. Yeah. Uh, Brian yeah, Rast, yeah. I want to say. Yeah. It's hard to remember now. It all yeah. starts to flow together, right? But anyway, uh, um, so Gareth, I had, you know, done a podcast previously with Elliot Rowe. And I can't remember how many episodes we did, but I did a pretty good number. And then Gareth was like, oh, we should, you know, we should do a podcast. Let's do a podcast. So anyway, we just uh, recorded episode 124 nice. of that. So we we have plenty of episodes if you guys want to listen to that. But what we do on our show is we answer, we alternate um, strategy questions and mental game questions primarily. So nice. that's what the... Yeah, if you, got a, if you got questions, we got answers. <laughs> I love it. It's 124. So you've been gone for what a couple of years or longer than that? Longer than that, because we used to only release a couple episodes a month, you know, like every other week. But mm. now lately we've been doing um every week. Nice. I mean, we've had gaps, you know, like when I moved house, we were off for you know a few weeks. And then sure. he just then he decided to move house. We were off a few more weeks. So, but, and you know, we've got 124 episodes, so sure. well, that's, that's, that's a lot. Yes, it is. It certainly <laughs> is. Well, we, this is our 61st and, you know, you name dropped a few, you couldn't have known, I guess, but, you know, Matt Berkey, Linda Johnson, mm-hmm. Jan Fisher, you know, Fade, all these folks, they've all been on the show. And, uh, you know, I'd say, you know, guys, if you have, you have a lot of podcasts listening to do 124 Dr. Carter and Gareth James's podcast, there's 61 of them here. Uh, so definitely some some good poke content to keep you entertained. Um, doctor, we said that uh, we would talk a little bit about your personal playing experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, that big uh, the, the big cash in, in Thackerville, Oklahoma, a mm-hmm. uh, 97k score according to the Hendon Mob. Um, you know, I don't I don't know if you consider yourself necessarily a, a professional poker player. Uh, but you know, you've got $166,000 of tournament results on hand and mouth. That's pretty darn impressive. If you ask well, me, thank you. you're so busy <laughs> doing all these other things. Mm-hmm. Somehow you found the time to record that many tournament results. Uh, that's the big one though. And in 2012, what is it like to, you know, what does it feel like to final table and to really like, you know, so many people who you've coached have done it and now, Hey, you get to do it yourself. It's a lot of fun and I highly recommend it. <laughs> 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 I, you know, I feel like um, it's one of those things where you want it so bad, you know, and you're playing all the time and you're hoping to get there and, you know, tournaments, it's a numbers game. And of course, I don't have the numbers that a lot of people do, but I think I have a higher success rate in terms of I don't play that many events. And right. so, yeah, I have a pretty, pretty good track record. And I satellite in, um, I used to play with full tilt. Uh, that was my, my preferred a site back in the day. And I used to win these bracelet races. I won loads of those. And so I would um, ladder up and get these tokens. If anybody remembers full tilt, you'll, you'll remember this. And then I would parlay the tokens into the, the game. So, and I would win a bunch of those. So that's the other thing that I think is that I'm the most proud of is that I have never been beholden to anybody. You know, I don't sell action. I have hundred percent of my own action and, but I get that action by satelliting, which is, you know, like a big coupon. Sure, so, sure. Um, so my ROI is much, much higher than, you know, like what it should be or what it could be, you know, for people who, who don't do the things that I do. So right. yeah, I was just like, 
that was a very big tournament. It had a lot of people in it. A lot of big name people are in it. It was, it's called the river. And so it's a pretty big uh, tournament, you know, moneymakers played it many times. Greg Raymer, uh, I gave Re- Greg Raymer the business in that 2012 uh, tournament and <laughs> it, it was, it was good times, but yeah. Yeah, that was a good that was a good series for me because I had a cash in an event that I had satellited into in that same tournament. So between that and the that final table, I took home a little over a hundred grand. So Amazing. Well, that's really cool. I mean, like obviously nice. the Hendon Mob doesn't say everything though. Uh, you know, tournaments are just one part of it. Obviously, oh, yeah. plenty of online play. Do you play cash games as well? Um, I play cash games from time to time, but I would definitely say it's not my bread and butter by any means. Uh, I prefer tournaments, but, you know, through the years I played everything, you know, I played sit and goes back in the day. I played a lot of sit and goes, you know, and, uh, and then, you know, I've done, I've dabbled in cash, but like I say, I'm not, uh, I'm not a cash aficionado. I probably should work on that some more. Yeah. Perhaps some of the books behind you can, uh, you know, can read and study up on. Do you have um, a favorite place play either in las vegas or somewhere else in the, in the states well my favorite room is the win for sure i love mm-hmm. the win uh now i know there's been some changes like through the pandemic and whatever so i don't know what the situation is now mm-hmm. um but yeah i love the win so let's let's uh you know spotlight them a little bit why the win over over so many other great poker rooms i'm sure you've been to and visited Gosh. Like, why not the win? It's beautiful. <laughs> it smells good. You know, except for the smoke. I'm allergic to smoke. So that, that's a problem for me. And oh, any, so I love that you went you to Binion's for that first experience. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Shout out that was actually my Binion's. first poker session as well, I have to admit, back in the Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yay. Yeah. Okay. Well, Played we're practicing. Four limit hold'em. For eight hours on the same sixty dollars, loved every minute of it. it yes, <laughs> you you go to Binion's, you're going to get bit by that bug. That's all I can say. Yeah. Um, you know the Nugget um, has a good room too, though, especially yeah. if you're playing cash because you can go under that one two and it's no cap. So people will put like bricks of money, yeah. and usually the bigger the brick, the worse they play. So that's just, <laughs> just, uh, it's the it's the only place left in Las Vegas where cash still plays. It's definitely some some old school charm. Uh, yeah. to, it's to a sight. Yeah, it's a sight to behold. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of the poker rooms have closed. Now, uh, I, you know, I went and played some cash over at the Flamingo and I made a lot of money. So I used to, you know, like when it would be fight weekend. So like the UFC would come sure, to town. Sure. I'm like, you picked your spots well. nice. Those were the days, you <laughs> yeah. know, and those people will be donking off chips left and right because they really didn't know how to play. You know, this was like the heyday of poker and the UFC and, you know, everything. And sure. yeah, we would fly out there we'd be like oh we're gonna see the fights and then you know after the fight um there were big fights at mandalay bay and yeah. that poker room was packed and i don't think mandalay bay has a poker room anymore i'm not but sure either yeah i don't think they do yeah. but yeah in those days i mean it was packed and the waiting lists were long and people had all kinds of money and they were throwing it everywhere i mean what is not to love <laughs> I, I don't know if we're necessarily returning just to that sort of peak but uh, it certainly seems like uh the rooms are flush with players and cash at least now, from my visits to the World Series recently, uh, seems like uh, there's there's money to be won, like you said, yes, so, yes. Which, is, which is pretty cool. So shout out to the win, the great clean poker chips, beautiful room, well laid out. And uh, I'm uh, I'm actually just I've got to throw this one in there. I am undefeated 
at the win. I had played three sessions there and had emerged a winner each time. So <laughs> gotta love the win. Um, good dealers, good floor yeah, people. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, one of the questions we always love to ask all of our guests here on the Cards Chat podcast, uh, you know, the friendliest poker podcast in town. Who is the friendliest player you've ever had the pleasure of competing against across the belt? Oh, wow. Um, let me see. Gosh, that is, uh, I'm thinking, I mean, I've had so much fun. Almost everybody I've ever played with has been super fun. One of my early tournaments was the Oklahoma State Poker Championships, and I had Jan Fisher on my right. And if you don't know her, she is so much fun. She is a hoot. I love her. So she's a blast. I like her. Um, let's see. I'm trying to think, like, who have I played against who was just, like, fun? Well, I don't know. While, I mean, while I mean, you think about it, I'll say Jan Fisher was episode number 57. Uh, okay. Been a very good friend of mine as well. I said Linda Johnson is 30, oh, episode yes. 39. So wonderful people, exceptionally friendly. And uh, if you want to see for yourself and you don't know her, go ahead and watch those, those episodes. Yeah, she's great. You know who else uh, I have spent time with? And he, he was amazing is Mike Sexton. So rest in peace. He's no longer with us, but Mike Sexton is, was, I should say, one of the most like genuine, upstanding, just class act people I ever met. So yeah, definitely uh, someone we could all all follow in the footsteps of. uh, Absolutely. Special person. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Super amazing. So love him. Well, we're going to wrap up my questions soon and get into the community questions, but I did want to ask you a couple more things. Um, what sort of hobbies, you know, outside of the, you know, the psychology and the poker and at the felt, anything else that you have time for in your, in your busy schedule that you're into? Well, I have, I have two things that I'm into, Robbie. So glad you asked. Uh, my family <laughs> motto is where there's cake, there's Cardiner. So I do enjoy baked goods. And um, <laughs> the other thing is, oh, well, three things. So I've got my cake. I've got my golden retrievers. I have three golden retrievers. So I'm I'm real into that. And uh, Disney World. So there oh. you go. How often do you go? <laughs> uh, before the pandemic, pretty often. And since the pandemic, not at all. I watch got Disney it. Plus. <laughs> got it. Got but it. yeah, you know how when you see the athletes and they win the gold medal and then they're like, what are you going to do? They're like, we're going to Disney World. Right. I'm like, if I ever win the main event, I'm like, I'm going to Disney World. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you got one of those uh, season passes usually. Well, you know, if you live in the state of Florida, you can buy those um, passes. And, and But we don't live in Florida, so we just have to shell out. But pro tip. Because we're military, we get a nice military discount. Okay. Well, thank you for your service, for your husband, for your first service. Right? Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Wonderful stuff. So my final question before we move uh, into the ones that are asked by our wonderful community members. Uh, Dr. Carter, what else do you want to share with us as far as the, any new projects or endeavors uh, that are on the horizon that you feel able to share at this at this point? Well, I have a, I have quite a few things. If you go to peakpokermindset.com, which is my site, you can find, I've got the Rev Up Your Poker Success, which I mentioned, which is uh, gratis. I also have a 10-minute tilt cure over there. Um, it's a paid product, but it will teach you how to get that tilt under control. And it's called 10 Minute because I teach you a step-by-step process mm-hmm. that you can customize to yourself and it will help you 
immensely with any tilt problems that you might have at the table. Uh, I also have Escape the Downswing Trap, which is another of my premium courses. So that teaches you all about all the mental stuff that goes with downswings and and how to get out that. And then I have Crack the Code. I'm in procrastination once and for all. So I have a procrastination course. So if that's a problem (laughs) for you. Um, so I've got that and I've got a few more things in the work. So if you come over there and, and if you just sign up uh, for my free thing, then you'll hear about new things that are on the horizon. Right, so Mike, oh. you are just incredibly prolific. That's a lot of, a lot of peace, you know, the peak poker perform all that good <laughs> stuff. It's, it's really, really cool. And then good on you for just, you know, grinding it all out there and, and just having so much available. And look, there's a lot of folks out there, a lot of different types of, uh, areas of, of study of, of, of things that you can go ahead and improve. So it's good to kind of like have lots of different uh, materials out right. there uh, that exactly. people can use to, to improve their game. Really cool stuff. Exactly. Well, uh, this is now the segment of the show. We turn to you guys, our Cards Chat community, to see what questions you wanted to ask our guests. We have a dedicated thread on the Cards Chat forums for this. So as we announce who our future guests will be, please be sure to send in your questions. And we've got a couple of our regulars uh, who sent in a few questions for you, Dr. Cardner, uh, to end off the show. So first off is Antonis32123. Thank you very much, Antonis. So some interesting questions here. Um, and I don't know where this is coming from. Uh, I, hopefully not you, Antonis. Uh, Dr. Cardner, Antonis wants to know, is it possible for a poker player to keep the right mindset, mindset avoid tilt, and play well even after a downswing that has lasted one, two, or more years. Antonis, I hope it's just you're asking for a friend. <laughs> yeah, downswings are tough. That's why I created the course Escape from the Downswing Trap, mm. because what will happen is we get into a downswing, and then it usually is like a downward spiral, and we just get deeper and deeper and deeper into it. So I think, yes, you can keep the right mindset, but you're going to have to put work into it, and mm. you're going to have to set in place some processes and learn some skills and you're going to have to utilize those. And, you know, you're going to have to put in some work to keep up your motivation because if we're losing and getting kicked in the head all the time, it would be natural to say, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore or to, you know, compound the problem. So yes, you can do it, but it's going to take some work and a high degree of mental toughness, I would say. Okay. So then all is not lost. You can always chip in a chair, I guess. And, (laughs) And I would say if you're playing live, a one to two year downswing is really not much. And I know nobody wants to hear that, but mm. from a number standpoint, if you're right. playing live, you know, what's your sample size there? And it could be well within the realm of, you know, statistical probability that you could lose a hundred sessions. Doesn't mean you're a bad poker player. It just means right. that you just happen to be in that part of variance, you know, if you're playing online, it's a little bit easier because you're like you had said earlier, you're getting in a lot more hands. And yeah. so you can get a far more accurate indicator of what your ROI actually is because you're getting a big enough sample and, you know, live, that's just so hard to do. So sure. I would say if you're playing live, you know, keep your chin up, keep after it, get that sample size up, you know, go down in stakes. Sometimes right. that helps because if you go down in stakes, you have weaker competition, you're more likely to book a little win and, you know, that can help motivate you and get your confidence back up. So sure, sure. Good, yeah. good advice there. I don't know if this second question from uh, Antonis 32123 is directly related to the first, but there's certainly okay. uh, a little bit of an overlap. I think uh, he wants to know how much time is needed on average 
for a poker player to learn to deal with tilt and get the right mindset after seeking the help of a professional like yourself? Well, that's variable because it depends on what all the problems are. So psychology is very much like poker, you know, where our favorite phrase is, it depends. It depends (laughs) on a lot of things like, you know, what are your specific issues? How much effort are you willing to put into you know, working on it? Are you working with somebody who's giving you processes that you can actually use? Or are you working with somebody who's more like, oh, just say some affirmations and Mm. and chant? You know, if I'm doing affirmations and chanting, I'm probably not going to get as good a result as if I have, you know, a specific step-by-step protocol that I'm going through and habits that I'm actually building, right? Um, Habits, just I will say that, you know how you'll read, oh, it's 21 days to a new habit. They like to sell us that. That's not true. That's hot garbage. So on average, for fairly simple habits, and a fairly simple habit would be like drink a glass of water every morning when I wake up or remember to take my multivitamin. So take that every day. On average, it's 66 days for that to become a habit. If you're talking about more complex, so you know, a study habit or an exercise routine, something like that. It's not out of the realm of possibility that it could take you a year or longer to get those really ingrained as a habit. So I guess if it were easy, we wouldn't have these problems in the first place, right? So it does take the effort and and the time. Um, uh, Antonis' final question is one I really, really like, and I'm kind of like, you know, how did I not ask that one? It's an excellent question here. Um, Can you share with us, Dr. Carter, obviously without, you know, giving specific names or anything like that, the most difficult case you've had of a poker player with the worst mindset or excessive tilt, how <laughs> you dealt with it as far as how did the player improve in their poker game sessions or generally in their life thanks to your help? Well, that's an interesting question because I think that everyone that I work with self-selects. So I don't get people who are the worst of the worst, right? <laughs> okay. I get I I get people who want they're like, "Oh, I really want to improve. I really want to work on my game. I really mm. want to do what's necessary," right? So, they tend to be motivated to start with. It's okay. a self-selection bias, right? If they're the worst of the worst, they're probably not you know what I mean? They're not, now, they're not I, seeking help. I understand. Yeah. That, yeah. But I do um, work with a fair number of people where their problems, and this might surprise people, but their problems stem more from things that are off the table. So it'd be like relationship issues. I actually work with quite a bit. So girlfriend or wife problems, <laughs> that comes up okay. more than you would think. So like maybe they start off with, oh, I've got a problem with, you know, and it'll be something very you know, mundane from the table, something that comes up a lot, right? But then it will work into, oh, but my girlfriend hates it when I play and, you know, burns (laughs) my clothes when I'm not looking or, you know, things (laughs) things like that. Um, So that comes up quite a bit and that can be challenging because I always say there's her story, his story and the real story, which is somewhere in between, right? Right. So that, that can be challenging because, you know, you're only getting one side of it, right? So that might surprise Antonis, Antonis or Antonis, 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 Antonis. I'm going to get your name right. Antonis. Yeah. So. Cool. I guess, well, when, you know, how do you feel like just to sort of hone his question just slightly, how do you feel after you're able to help someone in that situation and write the ship? 
Well, I feel I studied a lot of Alfred Adler it, when I was in graduate school. He's a personality theorist or was, I should say, because he's long departed. But he believed that it was our job as psychology professionals to give psychology to the people. So that was, we are supposed to teach people. We are not supposed to be like, oh, well, I'm the shrink and I know all the magic answers and I'm going to keep them to myself and just dole them out to you, you know, as I see fit. He believed that we were supposed to teach people to empower people, right? So, you know, ultimately our job is to work ourselves out of a job, right? you know? I don't want you to have to like come to me every time something happens. I want you to have the tools to know, oh, okay, I follow this process and, you know, this is what I do, right? And of course, I'm here to help if you need help or guidance or tips or tricks or, you know, whatever, but it's not my goal to have you around forever today. Sure. Well, that, that makes a ton of sense. No, great answer. Great so, questions, Antonis. Thank yeah, you. good questions. Good. Um, and then we've got uh, our good friend, Acid Burn FX. Uh, always has the most creative questions, uh, you know, a very interesting way. And, and like, I think you get some really cool nuggets out of our interviewees from questions like these. So thank you, Acid Burn FX. Uh, Dr. Cardner, as a person who has doctoral degrees in criminology, what crime from history fascinates you the most? And what crime would you commit if you would not be arrested for doing <laughs> Great Okay, first of all, I love your name. It's amazing. Uh, what crime fascinates me the most? I mean, there is a, you know, different day, different crime, right? right. Um, hmm. I mean, there's been so many interesting ones over the years, and they're very interesting when they're not solved, you know. So, like, right. we had the BTK that wasn't solved for a long time. Uh, so, that was pretty interesting. That bind, torture, kill was what BTK stood for. Uh, the Golden State Killer, uh, you know, he was just popped here recently. And oh. the way he was arrested was like a reverse you know, DNA. So like when people are submitting their DNA to, you know, the 23 and me's and all this stuff, they're right. able to like work backwards. Uh -huh. So I find that to be um, like super interesting. Um, you know, right now, of course, the Gabby Petito case has been really big. And so that's interesting. I'm waiting to hear the forensic anthropologist report on the boyfriend that allegedly did it. I, I guess I like all that stuff, you know, mm -hmm. the DNA, the forensic anthropology. So anything that's got like some good twists and, and turns cool. to it. Oh, there's a, a Jelani Day case out of, I think it's Illinois, very recent. He was a graduate student, smart guy, handsome guy, sharp guy. Okay. He, uh, he was at school. He leaves school. He goes to a dispensary. Um, nothing wrong with that. Okay. That's legal people. He, he leaves the dispensary and he disappears. And Ooh. then his car is found in an area he had not been to before. Okay. And it was in the, in, in like the woods. So it had to have been purposely put there and the, in the tags, the license plates were missing and he was missing and they didn't find, you know, where was his wallet? Where was his phone? All this. And then a few weeks ago, they found him floating in a river and that was really crazy because he was like a varsity swimmer. And, right, right. and because he's been in the river for a while, there, a lot of the evidence is missing. I don't want to sure. get too graphic, sure. but, um, you know, will the case be solved? Hope so. And if it is, it's going to be solved by, you know, a cell phone 
data records, you know, mm-hmm. things like that. So all that's like super interesting. Would I commit a crime if I could get <laughs> away with it? Well, I don't know. I'm not very criminally oriented. You know what I mean? Um, so I can't really see that I would, you know, I don't want to, there's nobody I want to harm. Right. <laughs> so, you know, uh, I'm not, I'm not really about that, but you know, you know, what might be fun if I could get away with it. Now this, I probably would do. I could break in to um, like a dog rescue and I could rescue all the dogs and take, wow. them, and take them to like. Way to turn that question around. That's unreal. That's a beautiful, I'm gonna go rescue. answer. I love it. Well, one of my one of my fantasies, I always say, like, if I ever win the main event, which is highly un- unlikely and improbable from a statistical point of view, but if I ever did win, I would like take my money and I would buy like a huge amount of land and I would call it Gardner Canine Country and I would go rescue all the dogs. So the, 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 I forget her name. The the last woman standing this year, uh, Nanchi, I think I forget. Yeah, her name. she was donating money. Yeah, yeah, she's she like going to set up something for animal rescue or pet shelters or something like that. Yeah, that's really cool. She's one of my people. She's. Oh, I people. love it. No, I don't know. I don't know. Nanji, I think uh-huh, something like that. I don't know her. I don't, but I know if she's rescuing dogs, she's good people. So Beautiful. she's not going to girl. Yeah, great stuff. Um, <laughs> two more to go. The penultimate question for you um, from Acid Burn FX. We love the name. What is something amazing that you did, but nobody was around to see it? <laughs> well, I used to twirl baton, and so I feel quite confident. I, when I was practicing, I probably had some, you know, where it went like super, super high and I twirled like around many, many times and, you know, caught it under my leg or, and, uh-huh. and nobody saw it. So. Okay. <laughs> okay, that's fair. Because like go. when you're practicing, nobody sees. Right. That is true. Okay. <laughs> we, we will end off with this one. If a genie granted you three wishes right now, what would you wish for and why? I mean, I want all the dogs. I think we already made right. that clear. Yeah, that's, well, that, that's one. Okay, that's well, cool. I got to get all the dogs. I would want uh, the pandemic to be like over for sure. And I would want people to be kind to one another because I just feel like there's so much negativity and there's so much just unkindness. And why can't we all just get along? So. That's a beautiful, (laughs) positive note uh, on which to end off. Thank you, everyone, who sent in (laughs) questions for Dr. Cardner. And again, a friendly reminder to all of you out there in the Cards Chat community. We'd love to see you submit your questions for our future podcast guests in the dedicated thread on the forum. Please be sure to give us a good review on iTunes and spread the word via your social media channels if you liked the show. Dr. Cardner, before we let you go, anything else you'd like to tell our audience? I just want to thank you so much for having me on and thank everyone for putting the questions in the forums. It was a lot of fun and Hey, maybe we'll do it again someday. Sounds really good. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, Thank you all for tuning in once again to another episode of the cards chat podcast. I'm Robbie Straczynski. You can follow me on Twitter at card player life. I wish you all a wonderful day. Cards chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community.